What's up, what's up, everybody? We're back here. We've got a name this time. It's Messy Tree. We have a name. Uh, before we begin the show, and people who know me know that I messed up, I should have said in our first episode that we are recording these podcasts on unceded territory of the Abanish or Anishinaabe or Aboriginal peoples of Canada and the United States. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. So going forward, I will definitely be acknowledged the unceded territory of the Indigenous folks in this uh, two countries or two countries correlated by colonialism. We can get into that a little bit later. But uh, <laughs> on the one and two, I'm, I'm one of your three trifectas. I'm Nisha. And we've got, who's next? Who's next? I am Mar. That's it, Mar. I am Mar. And I am Azar. What a nice little ring that has. (laughs) Right, right. These are our hashtags. I am Nisha. I am am Mar. I am Azar. I am Azar. Exactly. It's not the same ring as Mar and Azar. They sound like, you know, when you couple and you put those names together, like, you know, when two couples are going out, like Marzar. Yes. I like it. I like it. I've got, uh, my mine is a little bit too long. I'd get, uh, I, we have to think of something. Any of you out there who can put our names together and come up with a five letter word, that would be really cool. Like hashtag Nishmarzar or I don't know, we'll figure it out. Nishmarzar. Yeah. Well, uh, actually that really sounds Persian at this point. Does it not? (laughs) Maybe not. Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying. So I'm I'm Mar, but I'm recording from Montreal. And um, and Nisha's in Montreal, and Azara's still in New York, and so yeah, I'm the odd one out. Yeah. So before we get started on to on today's episode, I just want to send a special shout out to uh, Miles Bogan because <laughs> Miles is Miles put us on to Audacity, and while I was struggling to deal with um, editing the show last week uh it was it was because of 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 miles miles knowledge <laughs> and awareness of audacity which i had already been using to sort of prep for the show but i realized like oh i can just use the same software to help with editing this entire thing so shout out to miles and just, we appreciate just it. for some just for some background with miles he is my nine-year-old son yes. and I'm so sorry about the background noise, guys. My computer is tripping right now. And a genius. And he happened to be like the tech help for his whole school during the pandemic. So I'm super proud of him. Well, she's paused there for a second. That's okay. Miles is a genius. And we love him. And we thank him. And you should check out his podcast, which his mom will tell us in a second. And uh, she's going to tell me right now. I believe it's okay. F-N-F, she's going to come back, isn't it? I think yeah. it's FNF. Yeah, Friday night. I just funk. know that if you're not Friday night funk, and you're doing this, oh, Friday night punk, very cool. No, no, but Friday if you're not and you're doing this, no, 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 it's Friday night funkin. Oh, oh, okay, Friday. Okay, all right, FNF, Friday night funkin. You got to give it to those young folks. Young folks are so creative these days. It's um it actually mind boggles me. As you know, I'm the teacher in the group, so 
Yeah, yes. Miles is a G. He really is. He's amazing. And uh, I, I definitely owe him my thanks for putting this on to, uh, to Audacity. So shout out to Miles again. We appreciate it. So Azar has actually got some technical difficulties. And that's here, so okay. Sabrina and I are just going to carry on with the show and she'll eventually get back on. Yeah. But um, today we're going to be hopping into two subject matters. The first half of the show, we're going to be discussing residential schools. And um, for anyone outside of Canada, that is, we'll explain exactly what that is. But um, the reason we wanted to discuss it is because there's a lot of people in Canada who have been obviously inundated with this information over the past several weeks mm-hmm. in the media and so forth. And there's people outside of Canada that may have seen a few articles here and there, like there's um, anyone who reads the BBC or the Guardian, there's uh, news about residential schools that's popped up there. And then there's people, of course, within the U.S. who might have seen a bit of, about um, residential schools here and there, specifically unmarked graves being discovered yep. near old schools um, in various parts of the country. So we figured it's it's probably a good time to um, discuss that. And look, we are not Indigenous. I am not Indigenous. And, but we still feel it's an important subject to discuss. And so I just want to preface that (laughs) and explain that this is, this is not my story, but I think it's still quite important for us to really bring this to the forefront. And, um, I think it's still worth discussing, you know, even though we are not from the indigenous community, we certainly respect the indigenous community and we feel like this is definitely something that, um, that they that needs to be highlighted and in fact there are there were uh residential schools in the united states they call them indian schools and i put indian in in connotations or quotes and uh i i really want to say um it's not a word that i use but that's the word that it's historically referred to at the same time it's just canada did a good job at hiding their crap so we gotta we gotta talk about that a little bit. Oz is back, guys. I am so sorry about that. I mean, when I tell you this computer just decided to do its own thing, my bad. But I'm back. I'm back, and I'm ready to learn. Teach me. We just gave all of our love to uh, Miles. Thank you, thank you. And uh, Mar, we want you to get a little bit closer to us because we love that voice of yours. Yeah, we need to hear you a little bit louder, Mar. So, yeah. um, but. Oh. All right, here you go. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But yeah, Anish, you know, I was doing a little bit of research because I had started seeing on my Canadian friends timeline about these grave sites that were being found under residential schools. And then I started looking up residential schools and I'm appalled. I am appalled. Yeah. So, so if if I missed the background, um, I apologize. Did you already talk about what the no? I would. I would love to. We we haven't gotten into it. We just. We just were explaining that the first half of the show is going to be about residential schools. And then the second half, it won't be as heavy. We'll get into okay. our own personal pandemic fears and Perfect. things like that. So, as so you were, as you Nisha, I think if you can just give us some background, what is a residential school? Okay, so for 
let's make it simple. Think of a boarding school for people who are indigenous. So actually, let me take a step back. Let's break down these terms because a lot of people will ask me like, why is it okay to say native? Is it okay to say, you know, Inuk or Inuit or Indian? So honestly, if you don't know, like if you don't know the nation, like for example, here in Montreal, it's Mohawk or um, Kanawage or Cree. New York or Aussie Cree, Cree as well. Uh, I would just say if you're not sure, don't use Indian and Native because then you're forgetting the people from the north. But rather, just say Aboriginal, and Aboriginal will cover everybody as you tend to explore the rest of the nations in both countries. So that's first. So Aboriginal. I'm going to use Aboriginal because I hate to butcher words. Um, and I don't want to mispronounce people's names and nation's names because I would hate someone mispronouncing mine. So Aboriginal, when uh, the French came to Canada, because they did come here first, and, you know, in the United States, the English were there too. They encountered a population that was already present, which would be Aboriginal folks. Um, in the beginning, and I'm like, you have to say for those who are listening, you're going to say, well, Nish is very biased. It's, it's true. I hold my hands up. I'm very biased. Um, colonial folks really thought that indigenous folks were useful to them because they knew the lay of the land and they knew how to guide them. So if you go to Quebec history, the Iroquois were with the French and the Algonquin were with, with the English and they helped them fight against each other essentially. But when the war was done, then they were no longer useful. I mean, that's not completely true. They were still fur trading and all that stuff. Um, but also the indigenous folks didn't get the best things from us because not us, not me. I'm black, so <laughs> not me. But from colonial folks. The whites. Um, they, the, whites <laughs> the whites, they got some, the smallpox and stuff and they died out. But as time grew and the church grew its power in for Upper Canada, which is Ontario and Quebec, um, they started to create these schools and the motto was to beat the Indian out of the kid or um, to kill the savage. So essentially it was a boarding school where they would round up, you know, indigenous folks. And I actually realized I made a mistake. You could say Aboriginal or indigenous and uh, they would beat the Indian out of them. And so it's mortifying to think that all three of us have been educated in Canada and it was never in our curriculum. Never. Ever. Not once. We just, re and the last residential school in Canada closed the first year of Sejap for all of us. So Sejap is this weird little thing in Quebec, uh, which is between grade 11 and university. For those of us who know Quebec system, for those of you who don't, we go to, we don't go to college. They don't want us wiling out just yet. It's, it's like a, it's like a junior college. It's comparable college. to like a it's junior, like a junior college. college. So the last one, the last residential school closed in 1996. What? So we were 18, y'all. Yeah. Hold yeah. on. Oh no. So wait, wait, while wait. we were in while we were in junior college, these residential schools, the last still one, open. was where? Shutting can you down. tell me where it was located? They're all located across Canada. But the last one that shut down was that. Uh, that's a good question, actually. Let me just find out for you. The last residential school. In Canada to close. That is crazy. I just can't imagine in the 90s. I, in Saskatchewan. Let's see, that makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not so an Saskatchewan Ontario, Quebec, is, or Vancouver. Is, uh, 
or British Columbia. It's the Midwest. For those of you who uh, know, know the geography of Canada, it's like our equivalent of we have the prairies, y'all have the Midwest. And um, mm-hmm. but honestly, it's really funny how history has changed because um, this was something that was hidden. It was celebrated. And a lot of the propaganda that came out of residential school was very much mimicked from World War II and Hitler's propaganda against the Jews. So it's a very deep, deep, deep stain on Canada, but one that the United States is not um, exempt from either. So, And the unmarked graves are they would, these kids would die. Like they would eat, um, what am I thinking, frozen and raw potatoes because they weren't fed. They were beaten if they spoke their language. So if they spoke Anak or Mohawk or Cree, their hair was cut. So they, you know, if you see indigenous folks, they normally have their long hair or their braid. It was cut to look like these very um, bangs in the front cuts. Um, they were separated. They were kidnapped. They were stolen. they were molded to put more to become more Eurocentric. And very yes, much. that is a, a very important point about that. Kids, the kids who who were who were occupants of these schools, they were stolen. They were kidnapped yeah. from their families. Well, you the have first siblings wave today who the are first older. Wave. Yeah, so, yeah, that was going to yeah. be. You have siblings who are older, mm-hmm. who are yeah. now who are talking about their own personal experiences and saying, uh, "I remember my sister was here one day, or my brother was here one day, and then mm-hmm. the next day they were missing." And, and that, that, that is scoop. literally what was happening. And yeah, yeah so they the were scoop. kidnapping children. Yeah. Yeah, that was gonna be the my scoop. next question. And the the intention was to um I guess make these kids a little bit more I don't know, assimilate them, make them a little bit more Eurocentric, but also to get labor, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and and it's interesting because Again, here I am being controversial. It's very interesting. So for those of you who don't know, I like to look at things from all perspectives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there are all in all residential school survivors would agree that it's horrible. Um, There are some that will say that they learned a few things. And I think we have to be very mindful that in all horror, there is always some light And so a lot of them learned to play hockey, for example, and they would talk about how much they enjoyed playing hockey. Not to say that they enjoyed getting beat in their haircut and sleeping in the cold and stuff like that. I'm just saying that we, I don't want to paint a one-sided picture of the situation or tell one narrative of these folks. There's a lot of things that they will tell you. There are like three groups of residential survivors. The first scoop where... This man was telling me, actually, he was, you know, in the north sitting fishing and he turned around, a plane passed by and his brother was scooped, literally just scooped. And his mother came out and was like, where's your brother? And he pointed to the plane. Oh, my God. Right. So that type of thing. There's another scoop that happened in northern Ontario where, again, they were taught hockey and they were taught how to assimilate into Canadian culture. And then there was the last scoop, the millennial scoop, where these residential survivors are quite young, actually, uh, in their 20s. And, uh, you know, uh, that happened in James Bay, which is northern Quebec. And they also 
were ripped from their heritage. And I think the bigger problem is, is that why is Canada suddenly developing a conscious now? And it's actually starting to go underground again, by the way, just for you ladies to know. What do you mean underground again? Like it, it's just well, being swept under the rug? We're hiding mm-hmm, it. We're, like, we're pushing it when, from the media. Headlines. Exactly. When we found the first set of unmarked graves. So these are children who were buried, never returned to their families, um, and never had an opportunity to bury their children. And also, unfortunately, forced into Christianity, uh, some forced, some accepting. And here in Quebec, we have a very deep history about that because there's actually a Catholic Mohawk saint. And um, this was used to help the conversion process. Um, A lot of them were unmarked graves. So they were buried. Same things that we saw in World War II. And they were never informed. Um, Their names were recorded because we knew who had been scooped. But they weren't found. So we found the first 215 in B.C., I knew that Canada is about to get bitch slapped as they should, because as you continue through the province, every province had residential schools. Now it'll be interesting. We could do a whole special episode on when they find the children in Quebec, because I'm very curious to see how Quebec will deal with that. But right now we're at 5,000, over 5,000 unmarked graves and there's been no media attention, not So it just goes to show the ADD of the population. The thing about the the residential schools or the unmarked graves that were first, not first, well, first discovered earlier this year is that um, in some of the news reports, they had already given a little bit of history on how those children ended up there. Mm -hmm. And we're talking suffering from tuberculosis and other untreated conditions so the this even sicker thing that really perturbed me was reading that there were children who were made to bury their classmates in certain yeah. cases. Like it's children burying children. It's the Absolutely. most disgusting thing ever. And and then you have more that have popped up. And so for those of you that don't know and, and are unaware, we have a prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, prime minister, Justin Trudeau, who um, has been on an apology campaign for like the last several years since he's been in power. And I, I actually approve of these apologies because I think it's long overdue, but you can never apologize enough to the indigenous community for all of the the wrongs that have been done to them. Like, it's really important for people to also know that Canada has a history of slavery, not just of Africans, not just of people of African descent, but two thirds of, of, of slaves in Canada were actually indigenous. Yeah. So, you know, the, it, indigenous people, they have been treated so unfairly for centuries, since the very beginning. And, you know, a lot of the racist and, you know, and just the usual rhetoric that comes out of out of very ignorant people's mouths has been, oh, you know, they just want some money or they're always begging the government for things. And we have to get away from that sort of narrative and keep educating people about this, about the community and about 
the problems that they have suffered. And it's the same thing. I, I feel like it's very much the same thing like many of the African-American community members in the U.S. This is generations of trauma that has been passed down over and over and over again. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, everything. You bring up something interesting. People think that they're begging the government. Now, this is a myth that most Canadians believe. I hate to say this. Canada's meant to be, Canada's a cool country. Don't get twisted. But we're not free from stupidity. Um, we're not free from racism and oh, no, definitely not from ignorance. Even in our Medicare system. I mean, anyways, that's, that's a whole other episode. But um, actually, every Indigenous person in Canada has a trust. It's so they don't like people think they get our tax money. Nah, that's not how it works. Actually, when each indigenous person is born, they have a trust because of the uh, the the land agreements. If there are land agreements in place, and they have their own money, so when people say, "Oh, we give them money," we don't give them shit. They have that money from original negotiations, if there were negotiations and not a hostile taking of the land. So, for example, in the province of BC, that whole province is unseated, meaning there was never a negotiation and never a treaty in place for Indigenous folks to be giving, like the Salish Coast community never said, oh, here, yes, please have BC. That never happened. So there are actually indigenous communities in BC that are like, nah, we're going to govern ourselves. And there's not much you can do about it because if they really, really, really wanted to get technical and start some bad boy revolution, they would be in the right. According to our legal constitution, they would be in the right. They would be in the right. There was no negotiation. It was pure colonial negotiation. We're here. We think we're better. We're civilized. You're savage. We're taking the land. So in actuality, this is why this may be unpopular. This is why the Quebec identity always surprises me, because unfortunately, I appreciate what Quebecers went through, French Quebecois, but when you boil down to it, it's still not your land. And it's still not our land. Like, this is not my land either. As far as I'm concerned, I am grateful to be part of a land of unseatedness of the communities. But... Nah, folks need to stop that. They're not taking our money. Um, they're 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 not drunk for fun. That they're not uh, you know, in these situations because they want to be. They're not lazy. These are circumstances when you change a people's history and their being, then you force things on them that are not natural to them. And that's yeah, it gets me upset because I just think we didn't. We I, I keep saying we, not me. <laughs> <laughs> these colonial <laughs> folks did a number on these indigenous folks, and people need to get Canadians. Canadians have been living off the benefit of these people, and Canada has done a good job at hiding it. Because I'll tell you something. If you go anywhere in this country, with the exception of Nunavut or Whitehorse or Vancouver, you will not see any ode to Indigenous folks, right? I landed in, in Dorval the other day, and there's not this, you know, Miigwech, which Miigwech is Mohawk for thank you. There's none of that. You go to BC, 
uh, the highways are written in the language of the indigenous folks. They even have their own indigenous BC flag. You go across country to Quebec, good luck. You go to Nova Scotia, there's a little bit of that happening with the Mi'kmaq community. But Canada is not outright, if Canada really wants to do this apology tour like Trudeau is doing, um, they should be pushing for pushing, not that okay. other word that I was saying. They should be pushing for <laughs> some form of, yeah, no, pussyfooting. Uh, they should be pushing for some trilingualism here for the provinces, right? So Mary Simon is the new governor yeah. general of Canada. For those of you governor generals, like we still up the queen's butt. Let's just be real in Canada. She's the appointed representative of the queen in Canada. She's the first Inuk. I think she's Inuk. I want to say Inuk. Inuk means she's from the north. And Quebec was criticizing her because she couldn't speak French. And I was like, hold on a sec. Can y'all speak Inuk? Because that's the real OG language, <laughs> right? So she is bilingual, but it's just not the, the preferred bilingualism preferred. that Quebec... But what is the, preferred? The predominantly French province folks, in Canada would prefer. Folks don't even know how to say like Ojibwe or Ashinaabe. They don't even know the the nations in which we occupy. So this this it's just it's yeah it's a big clusterfuck if I can say that on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, for me, can. it's a big cluster. So I, I want to get back to these residential schools real quick, and, and actually before that. In terms of the trust that you were mentioning, I think more so than these apologies, there there needs to be some kind of reparation. I I don't think the trust is enough. I mean, right? The tr yeah. the trust is just, and you said only where it's negotiated with those, the land that those trusts are available to the indigenous people from those lands, and the ones that don't have anything negotiated basically are like screwed. No, they have it because it's a federal thing. Okay. What's interesting is that when the Truth and Reconciliation came out for Canada, the 139 recommendations, it'd be interesting to see which watchdog in Canada is going around knocking on the government's door and saying, are you implementing this? Right? It's not being done. So the there's this... But you should probably ahead, explain what the Truth and Reconciliation... Reconciliation. Um, ...report was, so all, was all basically, about. Basically... It's this, it was a moment for Canada to reconcile its nastiness and Indigenous folks were able to testify to what happened. And we've seen this done uh, before in South Africa when um, Nelson Mandela was released and they were trying to reconcile the country. It didn't go well in South Africa either because whatever, that's another episode too. But um, in Canada, there was 139 uh, calls to action, and I haven't seen many of those implementation uh, implemented. So 39 action calls. Um, one of them being, for example, is having the la indigenous language of the local province. So for those people who don't know, every province in Canada has a different indigenous nation housed in it. And those boundaries alone are problematic because Indigenous folks don't recognize those boundaries because they're colonial imposed when they used to be peoples who would move around. So, for example, if you're Indigenous, 50% Indigenous, the United States government in Canada can't stop you from moving between both countries. 
because that boundary doesn't apply to you as an indigenous person. So it's very interesting how that works. But that trust, so money came out of that. We've seen some really cool things come out of it. For example, there are some indigenous communities that have their own banks and Canadians are like, well, why should they have their own bank and money? My question is, why not? Like, why is it your business? <laughs> yeah, I saw, I <laughs> mean, this yeah. has been the common theme, right? Even in the Black Lives Matter movement, like why is, you know, why does this have to be like black owned and black this and black that? And it's just like, why not? Because you haven't been inclusive for the majority of the time that you've been yeah. here. <laughs> so now you're excluded, yeah. bro. White supremacy. <laughs> yeah, white supremacy is pretty much excluded other people who are non-white. So those non-whites are forced to then have to create their own institutions, their own resources that may necess- that are um, unique to them and exclusive to them. And here's the interesting thing is that what you find often in so many different communities, including the Black community, uh, I can only speak for the Black community here in Montreal, is that when, for instance, I, I wrote a book about uh, Montreal's oldest Black congregation. It is a church called Union United Church of Montreal. It is uh, one church that is part of the United Church of Canada denomination. And in the very early years, when many Black members of the Montreal community were trying to go to churches in Montreal, they were being rejected or they were being told, no, you have to sit at the back of the sanctuary. Or they were just told that you have to stand at the back of the sanctuary. And so Union United Church, along with a few others that preceded it, exists because of the fact Mm -hmm. that they were rejected by other churches that were white. And yeah. so it's not, it, it wasn't done out of we're doing this to force segregation upon our own community. It's done out of a necessity and a feeling that, hey, I just want to belong in a community without being judged, without, I want to worship God without having to be treated in such a racist way. And here's the interesting yeah. thing is that Union United Church of Montreal, it, even in the very early years, they welcomed white mothers who were often francophone, who had mixed race children. Yeah. Their other churches were not welcoming those mothers. Because they're so unwed. If you were if you were an interracial couple, unwed, wed, didn't matter. You were welcome. They might, I mean, you might have had a little trouble, but still you were you were allowed in the church because you couldn't go anywhere else and they welcome they eventually did embrace you and so it's not again the segregation isn't done out of um out of any sort of meanness or anything like that it's because it's done out of mm-hmm. necessity it's the same experience for uh HBCUs in the US right. and other Historical institutions across North America it's really interesting you bring that up too so by the way i was baptized at union my parents were married at union and so there's a lot of nova scotian uh history and union but it's interesting that folks question why black folks for example want to have their own or indigenous folks want to have their own but Other communities of color don't get that question, right? When Chinese communities or Asian communities move in or Indian communities, because I'm also Southeast Asian, there's nobody questioning 
why all my aunties and uncles are buying up the block? There's none of those questions. But when it comes to Black and Indigenous community, any sign of strength or unity or any sort of coming together seems to be the antithesis of integration. And I'm thinking, hold on a second. When you all left the Watts, right, in in L.A., and left it when Black communities were moved in, weren't you doing the, op- the same thing that we're doing? I, it, it flabbergasts me how folks want to keep Black and Indigenous people in their place. It's very, and I'm going to say that live, they want to keep us in their place, in, in a place that makes other white folks feel comfortable. Because if then they, we, they know the hierarchy, right? And there is a hierarchy. You see it all the time. That colorism is not just a black, white thing. It's in all communities, right? You know, white is right, light is better, passing, all of these sort of colorisms. But it's very interesting to me that when black and indigenous folks start to, they're starting to now younger activists are starting to become more solidified, that this is seen as a threat where it requires police intervention, police recording, um, Police need to put you on a list. Uh, oh, you're a terrorist or you're this and that. But they do not do the same to other communities, other BIPOC communities, the same way they do it to in Black and Indigenous. And just a statistic for you, 30% of prison populations in both Canada and in the United States are occupied by 3% of the population, which is Indigenous and Black folks. So The question is that criminalization of Black and Indigenous folks is another way of keeping us in our place. Control. It's very, it's very much state control. And so anytime Indigenous folks start saying, nah, this is our land, you've got folks saying, well, why should I do a land acknowledgement? Maybe the the Indigenous people will come and knock on my door and take the land. Then, oh, well, negotiate properly. Yeah, it's very, very subtle and interesting to me, the things that go on all the time with these type of situations. And let's not give the viewers this rosy, glozy thing. There is a lot of beef amongst indigenous and black communities as well, where there is racism in both communities towards each other. And that's something that we have to internally overcome. If you look at Nova Scotia, uh, Micmacs and blacks used to live together on the fringe And there's a lot of intermixing there in Nova Scotia. But even when you go further out, there are indigenous folks who are racist. I mean, I've been called an N-word by an indigenous person. But to me, I'm like, that's all white supremacy. These are all manifestations of white supremacy. So I don't even take it personal. Because to me, it's just like, we all feel like we have to put the other down. So we're recognized by white standards. And I would say, forget those standards altogether and start like building our own standards where, you know, we see our names on highways and stuff like that. It's just, that's one of my fears leading into pandemic fears (laughs) that all this fighting that we do will be for nothing. (laughs) It's just really frustrating to me, but we'll see what happens because there we've reached over 5,200 unmarked grades. So that was, let's go back to the residential schools because I have some follow-up questions. So you had, you had mentioned the scooping of the kids Mm -hmm. originally, did they continuously scoop? Like how did they keep these residential um, schools occupied with kids? Like did anyone voluntarily put their kids in these residential schools? How did it, Uh, how did it progress? 
I don't know if there was ever like a voluntary registration, but I do think at one point people knew, right? Like you, like people knew. Originally it started with scooping and then it became a thing where like you would see generations of families going into residential schools. Um, you asked a first question too, like, was it registration? I don't think it was ever voluntary, but there was another question you asked before that. Um, no, I, I was just asking about like how the original was the scoop and then... Yeah, the original was the scoop and then you'd see generations growing up and they wouldn't... It's interesting because when they would scoop, they would go back to their communities and they wouldn't be able to speak the language because they would left so young. So they would, be, they would be released from these residential schools back into their own communities and their, After, yeah. and their children would then attend the residential schools. I'm just trying to understand yeah, I have how... To, yeah, I'd have to check that up. I don't think they voluntary would be a hard word more like indoctrinated registration okay. and then yeah because I'm thinking if up until 94 these residential Coercion. schools existed right and and let's be real 94 internet access was Not kind long. of it, it wasn't as 96. 96 sorry 96 internet access was not as prevalent there was like internet access but very limited right like you it was a it was a it was access based on privilege. So a lot of information was still not accessible. But but still we, we had education, we had systems in place, you know, the the whole thing should have been frowned upon. So I'm trying to understand at that point, are they still kidnapping mm -hmm. kids and putting them in the school? So I found your answer. I forgot about that bad thing called the Indian Act. It was actually a law that they had to go. Oh to my state. god run school. So by the way, for those of you who want to hear fun facts, the Indian Act of Canada is A, still called the Indian Act, and B, still exists today. What does that even, what is that? Act? Can you, can you tell me a little so bit So the more? Indian Act, it forces kids, uh, the Indian Act, so let me just get a good definition. I actually have a shirt. I want to shout out an Indigenous business called the Res Life for anyone who's interested in buying some activist fuck the government stuff uh it's called the res life and i actually have a sweater that says burn sweet sweet grass sage and the indian act mm. right and so i wear it a lot so it says here the indian act which came at the same time that the country was incepted for those of you who know canada was formed as a country in 1876 so it, no 1876 1867 so nine years later was the Indi yeah 1867 then nine years eight, nine years later is the Indian Act. It was amended to allow the government to control most of Aboriginal life, including their status, the land, their resources, their wills, education, band administration, and so forth. Only two groups weren't governed by this law, Inuit and Métis, which I also think is interesting because for those of you who don't know, Métis are half white, half indigenous folks. So part of me feels like, is that a white supremacy move? They don't want to look over they don't want to indoctrinate or beat the savage out of their own who mixed and i think would it would it be fair to say that the metis are the mulattoes yeah, of the, the indigenous community you know how there's the yeah. issue of colorism right the light-skinned yeah, blacks the versus darker-skinned blacks and then i think I mean, for the inuit it's probably too yeah, damn cold to go up yeah. there and be bothering those folks because they live up north it's cold up there so white folks are like, no, nah, we're trying to go up there. It's cold up there. Um, 
my question is, why hasn't the Indian Act been amended or even renamed, at the least renamed? Um, and, and when people refer to it in school, my whole face cringes because I'm thinking, why hasn't the government, you know, I don't know. So also the Indian Act denied the status of women, introduced residential schools, created reserves, renamed individuals with European European names. It's slavery. I mean, this is just like, you know, when you Legal think about it. Slavery. In 2021, when you when you think about this, it's like how? And I don't even understand how the idea was was conceived and accepted at the time. It just what? Like it's just confusing. Well, you you have to Oh, we love. You have to remember that the churches played a huge part in this as well, right? So it's not just Catholic churches, but Christian churches, yeah. Anglicans, Methodists, all these different denominations across Canada. Like they were the ones that were the first uh, to yeah. sort of put this into motion. And then the federal government of Canada got involved with that and it became, you know, Sir John A. Macdonald, our very first prime minister, who was the one who um, collaborated with these churches to further the residential yeah. schools across Canada. And so it, it's not really surprising. It's sort of the same way that um, you have evangelical churches that have missions yep. all across the world to this very day to... Um, instead of it just being a, um, uh, I want to say, a, a philanthropic sort of initiative, it's philanthropic, but with strings attached mm, in that in we're mind. trying to, oh, you know. So another fun fact about the Indian Act, um, you had to get permission to go to university in Fortune French, for instance. We could take portions of the road. Uh, you could lease out non-First Nation land. You forbid First Nations from forming political organizations. Um, there's no sale of alcohol, no sale of guns, uh, from speaking their own language, from practicing their own traditional religion. Ceremonies were illegal and they were denied the right to vote. So that is some of the top 10 fun facts of the Indian Act that still exists today. But I'm sure those facts that we named have probably been reformed at this point. I hope. I'd have to double check for those of you who are interested. But to be honest, like Miranda's saying, this is, in fact, legalized slavery. Right. This is this is actually the Indian Act is a very interesting piece of information because it's actually the foundational inception of racism in Canada. Right. Because. You can't do this. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Keeping you in your mm -hmm. place. It's crazy. The fact that you can rename that to me, if that doesn't say slavery, right. I don't know what does. Right. Because, I mean, a lot of black folks yeah. don't know their names. Yep. It's pretty much the same thing. So where we're at today with all of this. The residential schools across Canada are still being uncovered. There's those we know of and more that we don't know of. And there are going to be more unmarked graves that are, mm -hmm. are going to be unveiled. Um, and it is, so this problem, this, this whole history is not going away and it should never be swept under the rug again. 
and it'll it'll just continue to unfold. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. I think the best thing, one of the best things that the government can do is to just keep pouring more money into uh, investigating and looking across the entire country as to where these schools are and working with those religious institutions to identify those children. Every single last body that has been in an unmarked grave because their families need closure and they deserve that respect and that dignity. Yeah. For those of you who might be thinking this is heavy, what can I do? Like that ostrich syndrome, like you want to put your head in the ground because it is overwhelming. Uh, A couple of things that I started to do was, first of all, just learning the name of the nations. I won't even lie to you. There's a website that actually teaches me how to pronounce it because I have these issues with pronunciation and I don't want to do it. So I started with this one minute YouTube video, learning how to say Ojibwe. It started off with just, you know, talking to folks. I started just reading. I started to watch films. Um, I wasn't doing anything performative. I did it one step at a time. I'm still doing it one step at a time. But one thing that I will always do is acknowledge that this is not my land. Um, I clearly didn't choose to come here. But don't keep your head in the sand just one step at a time. You know, you can start with things like going to, I'm trying to think, the Res Life. You can go to Indigenous Corporate Training. Uh, you can check out nativeland.ca, find out where you are, see that, which land you're on, whose land you're on. Uh, you know, maybe go to a powwow at the university, uh, things like that. So I don't want you to think like, oh my gosh, they're pointing out all these problems. I don't know what to do. You know, everything, one thing that you do do is one thing that you didn't do. But what's unacceptable is to be complicit in silence. So that's uh, just for those who want to start learning about it. And tie your kids, tie your kids, tie your friends. And whenever you see that number go up, you may sound like you're just sharing a post or reposting, but Instagram knows the, what is it, Oz? The algorithms. The algorithm. And mm-hmm. when something catches on, then people know, right? So we don't want these children to die in vain. They've already been buried for over 25 years or more. We want them to be known and and think, could that have been your sister or your brother or your twin or your sibling? And so we just want to pay homage to. And, and let's also not forget that there's Indigenous and missing women all across Canada who are murdered and not accounted for. And people are out there dragging the river in Manitoba. So one step at a time, it may seem overwhelming, but just listening to this podcast is one step that you did that you didn't do before. So I don't want people to be like, oh my God, Misha's like giving us the business and <laughs> I'm not doing anything. Not at all. We're all part of you this. Are, you're amazing. Thank you so much for like just educating us on so many, of, of mm-hmm. so many elements to this entire um, subject. And it, it's very much like, being an anti-racist it's a lifelong journey you have to keep educating yourself Mm -hmm. it doesn't go away simply because you learned what you learned one day and then that's it this is an ongoing journey i know it is for me personally i don't even claim to know anything barely anything about the indigenous communities across canada but i can definitely sympathize with 
their uh, history and the way that they've been treated. And I think that that, you know, just you having you, Nisha, here explaining so much of this, it really helps sort of bring um, more light to it. So I'm going to give you a little bit of love here. And there you go. Oh, oh yeah. We appreciate it. It's a lot of love. I was going to say a that's lot a lot of love. That's a long, a lot of love. love. Yeah. And before we move on to a lighter topic, I just want to add to that, like, you know, check your own biases, you know, check your own privilege, acknowledge that you have privilege and, and try to do what you can to give back in this lifetime and, and share that knowledge with your children. And more importantly, with your elders, Mm -hmm. because a lot of, a lot of that, you know, that bias and that prejudice still exists in those generations. And we are here to speak on that. We can't keep quiet and say, oh, they're old, they're not going to change. You need to explain to your elders in your households what's acceptable and what's not. Absolutely. And, and you, need to, you need to end that. You need to end that cycle um, from here. So, so get to One work. One step at a time. <laughs> One step at a time. So let, I guess we're moving into our fears. That's scary. Yep. Oof. So pandemic, pandemic fears, fears, reintegration into the world (laughs) who wants to go first guys this (laughs) let me just say that this new this new delta variant has put a new type of fear in me my anxiety is at an all-time high i have now been tested you know multiple times at the brink of any kind of symptom i got tested today because i had a headache i mean like it is that Mm. crucial and crazy to me and I gotta tell you I don't know if this is happening over there but where I live I live in Manhattan but the northernmost point of Manhattan they're closing testing sites and I just don't understand like it's happening why are you closing why are you closing testing sites like I think it's so important now I don't say more than ever but definitely now to continue to get tested and continue to like stop the spread besides vaccinations and what they're saying about the Delta variant, even being able to, you know, like affect vaccinated people, at least in terms of testing positive and spreading the disease. I mean, the virus, I mean, the testing is, is uber important right now and it's not accessible. It's happening here in Montreal too. Um, I think, I think what worries me is I recently was reading an article about the province of Alberta treating uh, COVID as an endemic. So for those of you, an endemic is the opposite of a pandemic where they want to live with it. And I'm like, I, I get the logic of living with it, but because COVID is unpredictable per individual, like there's no pattern of how it will affect Oz to Mars to me, that I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to be an endemic life. Um, I think that uh, I don't really have a pandemic fear around COVID um, because I actually had to teach every day physically in person last year. My anxiety is not as high as it was last August. Last August, I was trying to find multiple ways of getting exempted from the school year. (laughs) I was like, man, because I've had pneumonia twice. And so that's one of the things that scares me, right? Um, This year, I'm like, 
nah, don't come near me. I'm putting on my goggles. They're like, oh, you can keep your mask off. No, you can keep your mask off. Yeah. I'm, I'm keeping my mask on. I'm definitely not getting mm-hmm. rid of my mask. I mean, the same the same habits that they've asked us to uh, practice throughout the entire pandemic. I, I'm double vaxxed. I will continue to keep those practices in place because I can only control yeah. myself. I can't control what other people do. And you may not like... Or you may not like the fact that I'm wearing a mask or you might question why I'm wearing a mask. That's none of your business. I don't know you. I can't trust you. I can only be responsible for myself. So I will continue wearing a mask. I will continue washing my hands. I will continue using sanitizer wherever I go. Makes no difference. Hopefully you're washing your hands prior to this. I was washing my hands prior (laughs) and they will continue to be washed. Because y'all, y'all, high school kids are nasty, right? We've talked about this last episode. High school kids are on a whole new level. So High school kids um, and you know, grown go- men. Let me just say that. Grown oh, men. Grown men don't. No, that's they, not cute. Grown men still do not like to wash their hands, even after they've gone to the bathroom. I, I won't oh, even I won't on. even get that's into nasty. it. But I mean, as, as far as pandemic fears, I certainly feel like Unisha, my anxiety is has been um, reduced a little bit. Um, I'm, I, I still suffer from insomnia and my sleep patterns have been wretched throughout this entire time, but it's getting better. And for me, the other, the other thing is, um, just what the financial outcome is going to be in all of this. I mean, we're already experiencing, well, I think that's why the, you know, I think that's why the testing sites are closing, right? I think there's a balance now in the government between economics and how many people they can let die and not get tested. I'm serious. Fam, someone just told me the other day that they paid $15 for a poutine. $15 for a poutine. Can we talk about this? Can we talk about this? Can we talk about the surging Uber rates, the prices of rental cars, the fact that there is a car shortage, the flight costs, strawberries, everything, a basket of strawberries at your local grocery store. It's the price is astronomical. And I'm I'm so fearful, especially for people in my family who are working class. I don't know what's Mm -hmm. going to happen with them as far as being able to afford food that's going to keep them healthy and alive. And especially if they are, um, you know, cancer survivors suffering from diabetes Mm -hmm. and all of these other things. And so that's a pandemic fear. You've hit, you've hit me on the, you've hit my nose there. For me, it's, we were so concentrating, so content or focused on COVID that I'm like, how many of us missed a medical condition that wiped us out that wasn't COVID? This is my, my medical anxiety is through the roof with that kind of stuff because people can't have their surgeries. People can't have their, their, you know, their treatments because of COVID. And I'm one of those people who will like, my doctor probably sees my name. and It's like, Oh God, this one is emailing me because I'm so on top of it. I don't let anything slip through the crack. But folks who, you know, I used to be that person who just trusted her doctor. And I was like, no, 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 no. I got to trust myself. And that worries me. Like how many people, you know, got like medical care, like subservient medical care because we were in a pandemic. That worries me a lot. There's actually a story. There's actually a story about a local woman here in Montreal who um, wanted to get 
some tests done because she strongly believed that she had a lump in her breast and it needed to be addressed. And she had to fight tooth and nail to get an appointment and get doctors on her side to actually start doing the testing to see if the lump was benign or not. It turned out it wasn't benign. And she is going through uh, cancer, going through chemotherapy and all of the, the necessary treatments she needs right now. And there's so many other people out there who are like her in this in this current time or will be in that situation at some point because yeah. we're just we're really stretched to the max as far as our yeah. medical system is concerned. We can't accommodate everybody and the tests are not being done, appointments are being canceled, and people are also becoming complacent. They figure, oh well, I don't I don't feel bad and I don't really feel any pain, so there probably isn't anything wrong with me. Not realizing, no, you probably still need to go see your doctor and get a good, uh, thorough checkup. If you can get a if doctor. You can get a doctor and mm. if you can get an appointment. Yeah. So. And if you don't have access to, like, you know, uh, like, if you just have Medicare and you don't have access to disposable income to do that extra pushing, like you were saying about the food, Mar. Like, these are my, my, I feel my anxiety going up just talking about that. Like, medical staff for me is like, I should be able to access you when I want, how I want. And it, it stresses me out to the max about that. That, that's a real pandemic fear of something happening outside of COVID and the shoulda, coulda, would'ves. That bothers me a lot. That bothers me for my family, for my, you know, my peoples. Uh, you know, my husband is not a Canadian national and he's lucky he's got himself a Canadian wife because when the doctor's like, oh, he'll be okay. Uh, no, fix that up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those. Like, no, no, no. Uh-uh. But the best advice I ever got was doctors are simply the people who find out what you already know is wrong, but can't name it you know your body. So if you think something's wrong, you don't let go. You be that foot bull with that little foot in your mouth of a small dog and wave it around. Like you figure it out because you only have one life to live and no one has the right to dismiss you. That's gaslighting. Yeah. That's medical gaslighting. And it's very real. And I, I get yeah. very stressed out by that. And there's a lot of racism in that too, by the oh, way. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, well, that's also another topic for another episode. But yeah, you got to advocate for yourself. And I've heard this a lot. I mean, um, with people and friends and they're like, you know, we go to the the doctor and if it's not COVID, it's like, all right, peace. Yeah. Well, what is wrong with me? Like, what's the <laughs> issue? You know, like, can we, can we address that, please? You know, uh, no, we well, you don't have COVID. Out? So you can go. <laughs> but that just goes to show that, you know, we... It's so complicated. And, you know, big shout out to all healthcare workers. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like, let, let's get that applause going. Yes. Yes. Let's get one. that applause. A nice long one. Absolutely. Frontline workers, healthcare uh, workers. Yeah. Like, healthcare oh, workers have been give going it up. through it. Through it. Yeah. And I don't know about New York guys, but here the government of Quebec didn't even want to negotiate with them to give them raises. Yeah, no, it's not like that here. It's a lot of there's a lot of private industry here in the healthcare. 
um, sector. But I mean, listen, there's a limited amount of of people in that industry. And it's like, you know, what they experienced through the spikes of COVID. We are all human. We all need rest to function properly. Mm -hmm. So you could just imagine like that pressure is just enormous what they had to see was traumatic um and and yeah man like i i can't even imagine i have friends who are nurses and they just have a different experience it's almost like they have ptsd from what happened yeah of course they would i have a student who graduated she's now a nurse caught covid did her time came back right back to the same ward that she got it from like, you know, That's yeah, nuts. kudos to teachers. My mom, like, my mom cleans hospitals, okay? My mom put herself on the line every day and still does in this pandemic. And, um, nah, that, that's a fear of mine. The medical system is a fear of mine here. Um, but you're right, Oz. Gaslighting in the medical system is a whole other episode, um, just, like, on how they treat BIFOC folks. But uh, no, I guess my biggest fear right now is I'll never get out of Canada. (laughs) Oh, for travel purposes, I feel you, girl. Oh, God, I'll never leave this country. You will. Yo, honestly, I'm afraid. I'm with this new Delta variant. I'm afraid of school. Not going to lie, guys. I just don't feel comfortable sending my unvaccinated children to fully populated schools um, with really poor um, air filtration systems in old buildings. And I, I mean, how much responsibility can you put on a child in terms of wearing a mask, in terms of social distancing, in terms of hygiene? They are children for crying out loud, you know, like they're filthy. And it's like, you know, one of the things that I noticed in the pandemic is that we got stomach bugs, we got colds. And if these things are transmitted, right, with all the protection that we have, you know, that we have practiced, you know, being super careful with masks and washing our hands and sanitizing, then how easily could we have also been? And by the way, we did. We all got exposed to COVID. But I'm just saying the few times that other uh, issues happened, other viruses snuck through is this it's a scary thought it's like with with all of this all these precautions that we take we're still exposed in some way or another and i am terrified it is now august 17th schools are starting here on september 13th and i'm like there probably aren't going to be any remote options that i know of right now what am i going to do my what am i going to do my kids wow they're old enough. I'll be it, back in Now school. is the time that they need to be out on the streets working and pulling their weight in your household. <laughs> oh, okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, you know, Miles already got a podcast. Somebody's got to be on Miles got a podcast. <laughs> Miles got a podcast. Miles can be but our you know producer. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I, I'm going back in a week, and I, I've said it before in the article I wrote at the end of the summer that I am lucky to have a principal who is like, she gives the business. Oh, the government says that that's great for the government. We're just going to stock up yeah. a little bit more. Don't trust the government. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm under a leadership, a principal leadership who is cares about the health of her staff. Thank God. And the health of our students. Thank God for bosses. And like parents this. follow. Yeah. And so I would never want to go into this 
school pandemic battle under no other principle. She's equally as paranoid as me. So I'm yeah. like, we're good. We're good. <laughs> but going now we're going back with 900 of them. Wow. It's a lot. It's, so we'll see. It's, it's just scary. And it's like, you know, the world has opened back up. Granted with, you know, it, here we have just implemented the key to the city, which is you have to show your vaccination card in order to get access into any indoor establishment, mm -hmm. whether that's concerts, gyms, restaurants, um, which is something that I think they should have implemented before. But at the same time, have you seen the vaccination cards, guys? Have you no. seen? Them? Oh, we're we we have our own first. we have our own uh, vaccination oh. passport here in Quebec. The carnet de vaccin. It's, it's a QR oh, code. Well, at least you guys have a. Oh, that's good because ours is a piece of cardboard with handwritten dates and handwritten. Oh no! You you oh, no hold on. God. Handwritten dates handwritten whatever and the name of the establishment which is what rite aid walgreens or wherever is where you're getting your vaccine no they were laminating for free but that's not the point do you know how easily forgeable that document i mean are you joking are you kidding I can do that. and like twenty dollars and honestly at this point i gotta tell you at this point does it even matter vaccinated people are spreading the delta variant Vaccinated <laughs> people are testing positive. Does it even matter? And it's just, you know, there's just no way out of it. And there's the side of the economy that I'm sure everybody is considering and it impacts all of us in some way or another. And, and then there's just our welfare and mostly the, the welfare and well-being of the, the people who are not able to be vaccinated and, you know, the immunocompromised, the children, the elderly mm -hmm. who were so much more at risk. And apparently now with the Delta variant, they're not as much a, at risk as kids are. I mean, I'm just, I, I can't just like, I just don't even know. Like I'm, I'm like, what is the bigger meaning in all of this? It's, <laughs> like it's what hard. is happening? This population control. It's What's really hard on? to wrap your head around all of the what ifs and the unknowns that the future holds for us. I mean, the most, we can do right now is just um, try to be as healthy as possible because our medical yeah. our medical system isn't going to be getting any better at least anytime soon. And uh, save your money because you're going to need it. There's going to be some serious financial fallout from all of this, and uh, really yeah. important to save every penny you have and and. Be in touch with your loved ones because you really don't know what's going to be happening tomorrow. And buy in bulk. Buy in bulk. That's it. That's part of the inflation. You know, whatever it is yes, that you need. Oh, yeah. For Christmas, if there are presents, electronics or anything that you need, you you better buy them now because the way yeah. that the supply chain has been literally screwed by this entire Impacted. thing, mm -hmm. just just get everything you need now. It can never yeah. be too early. Never. And I, I have to add this very last point because my country is suffering tremendously right now. And not just Iran, but a lot of other countries, third world countries. We are, I am so grateful for the fact that the vaccine is available to me. I'm not even going to start talking about vaccinations and people who don't want to get them. Like, that's just going to get me God's natural a little selection. bit agitated. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, the point is the Iranian government has declined vaccinations from countries that they don't get along with. And the Iranian government is the most disgusting, vile, whatever that I mean, hopefully I don't get, 
you know, um, executed because of this, because God knows with them. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near Iran right now. So hopefully I'll be all right. But the point is that, you know, how do you sacrifice your people for your own politics? I don't even know what to call it. It's not even what the fuck is that? That's not a what is this? Not politics. That's stupidity. It's, it's ignorance. It's it's a black it's, belt it's in petty. How can how the fuck can you be so petty while you are governing governing a nation of people that are suffering, dying by the hundreds and thousands because you have not you know put your bullshit stupid pride aside to get them the proper resources? Ten percent of the population in Iran has been vaccinated. Ten percent. Wow. And Compared if you to think that, 48. and and our seventy, I believe, I, are we not at seventy in the United States now? I mean, I know we are in in New York. So I mean, just it's 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 insanity, and I am like I am just devastated for for the people in those countries who have no access, and they're basically begging. They're begging for this wow. vaccine. No access so and incompetent like, and corrupt governments who just don't want to corrupt yeah. governments too, because. Word on the street is they sent some AstraZeneca to the Caribbean. And that's why so a lot of people, we'll li- that that's why a lot of people in various countries across, across the Caribbean have no interest in taking the vaccine. If, if anything yeah. sums up this episode, it is that we can't trust the government. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And I'm not. I'm not talking from a conspiracy theorist point of view. I mean, I trust the government for certain things to an extent, but really you can't trust the government. They do not have your best interests at heart sometimes. Definitely not. Does that mean we're libertarians? Uh, I I, I have a little bit of libertarianism in me. I I, I admit it. (laughs) I admit it. I do. I'm calling into question a lot these days. I truly, truly am. I I have to say, too, if anyone knows who I am and you follow my politics on Quebec government, you definitely know I might be heading down that. I'm I'm all for the government staying out of people's business, but I'm also for the government providing safety nets for people so we have less carnage uh, in in our society as far as people not getting the health care they need, people not getting the housing that they need, all of these basic resources, those needs have to be met somehow. And here's why I say only partial libertarianism exists in me. It's because a true libertarian would say, oh, the there's the coronavirus. Forget it. People are on their own. Let them take care of themselves. You don't need the government. No, no, no. no. If we did not have the government spending money, taxpayers dollars on providing basic services and a safety net to the public, we would be all in such serious, serious shit. Yeah. Big trouble. Yeah. So that philosophy, that whole political ideology, it's not, it's, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. The government has to be there in order to provide basic services and a safety net. So on a lighter note, let me just say that I look forward to seeing you ladies. (laughs) When this whole Stay messed up, yeah. When 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 we can finally get together, and also uh, I went out with the, with some friends of mine over the last few weeks. I made myself up. I did not know what the hell to wear. I went out with my eye makeup, my foundation, and I left home without lipstick and earrings. 
<laughs> and I don't I don't know what I'm doing when I leave the house anymore. I truly don't. It's it really is we an don't. adjustment. It's a it's a learning curve, girl. That's okay. We're That's we're okay. here. We we're here to support you. you through it. But listen, this has been an awesome episode of Messy yeah. Truths. I love the name. I feel like we're gonna be covering a lot of topics yes. that that are messy. <laughs> and we all have our messy opinions about them too, by the way. Let's yeah, put that out there. Sure. Um, and again, Nisha, thank you. I think this was very informative and educational. Um, and yeah, guys, what a great episode. I guess I'll catch y'all next week, huh? Mm-hmm. Tomorrow. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Stay masked up, right. folks. Miigwech. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure we come up with a lighter topic.